So welcome, everybody. Uh, for any of you who don't know me, my name is Chris McLean. My wife and I are elders here at Crosstown, and occasionally I get to speak to you. And what I wanted to talk about today, being Father's Day, one of the things that came to mind is, is you know, I, I see the, the Lord as my father, and, and how do I honor him? How do we, all week long, and last week maybe, you've been asking yourselves, how should we honor dad? How do we honor fathers? And so I started thinking about this, and you know, in, in all that I do, I want to honor the Father, not just on Father's Day, but, but every day. And so, so when I started thinking about how do I honor him the best, I had to think about it in my life, how do I feel honor for my children? And this morning, I had the incredible opportunity for Emma, my daughter, to, to remind me of how I feel honored. Uh, we were talking about the big man challenge, and she said, you know, Dad... Dad, aren't you going to do the big man challenge? And I said, well, you know, today I'm speaking, so it'll be a little uncomfortable if I got up on stage and I was one of the winners, and then I have to transition to speaking, and it's just too hard. And, you know, so I said, because I'm pretty certain I'd end up on stage, let me, I'm just not going to participate this year. And she said, well, did you do it last year? And I said, yeah. And she said, well, how did that work out? And I said, oh, well, I, was, I, was, I didn't get on stage last year. I was the second place. And she said, oh, Dad. She said, you know what we call second place? And I said, what's that? She said, first loser. And I, I, I said, great. But you know, it sounds strange. She was kind of knocking me down a notch, but I felt honor in that situation. And why is that? Well, because there's a truth that I have imparted to my daughter, which is second place is the first loser. <laughs> and so that's a truth that I've declared over her life. And so to see her take that truth and then operate in that truth in her life, not provoked my, me or not just out of obedience to me, but to see her actually operating in the truth that I've imparted on her is very honoring to me. And I think God feels honor in that also when we take some of the truth that he's given us and we're able to then deploy that in our life and, and be delivered by it. And so, so my goal today as we unpack the scripture is to really be honoring to our father. And that should be our goal anytime we, we come into his word and we open his word and we try to get some uh, knowledge out of it is to really be honoring to God. And so uh, that's my goal today is to really honor him through maybe some wisdom we can get from his word, and then maybe challenge you guys as to how to put that into your life to be delivered by God. But isn't it interesting that he, he allows us to call him Father? You know, this is Father's Day, so it's all about the label of Father, and, um, and God does that. God's very interested in the labels, not just of how we label him as Father, but also how we label ourselves. There's a lot of power that comes in that label of Father, and he's chosen to be our father. He's chosen to carry on that label. Now, he could have said sovereign Lord. He could have been called omnipotent. He could have been referred to as unmeasurable or inexhaustible or all-knowing or unfailing. And he is, from time to time in Scripture, referred to all of those things, and none of those are wrong. Those are all attributes of God. But it's interesting to me, when he sent his son on this earth to walk and to show us how to relate to him, that the predominant way that Jesus shows us and labels him is as Father. So he has chosen to be our Father, and he's chosen for us to interact with him in that way. It's very important, and 180 times in Scripture he said, I'm Father. Only 15 of those were in the Old Testament. 165 times Jesus teaches us to refer to him as Father, because he knows that that label is very important, that label sets up our rules of engagement. And when we walk into a, into a situation and we have an understanding of where we are in that situation, we change the way we act. When I'm at work, if I have an administrative meeting and I'm the chairman of that meeting, 
I act differently. I carry myself differently in that meeting. I organize that meeting differently than if I'm just a participant. And so there's, there's power and there's understanding with where we are in a situation and how we label ourselves in those in interactions. And that label that we put on ourselves is very important to predict how we're going to act and to establish the expectations of maybe the others in the room too and also to regulate our interactions. And I think God knows that, that we act that way, and so he's chosen to be our father. And so when we see Jesus interacting and telling us that he's our father 165 times, to me that tells me this is, this is something different. This is something that God really wants me to understand about his interaction with us when Jesus comes on the scene. And so he is our father. He's not just chosen to be that, but he is our father. And I think he understands exactly what we're going to bring into that interaction of father because he knows that some of us many of us are operating in family dynamics in our past that make us bring in some baggage to that understanding of father and maybe maybe you're here today and you've got some baggage that you're carrying in from an interaction with your father I know I have those you know my father when I was 15 he died of alcoholic liver disease uh, and so I didn't grow up with that strong hand of a father over me. But I will tell you, I never was left wanting because when I was 14, I accepted Christ as, as my leader and my savior and my Lord. And so from then on, I felt the hand of God on me as a father. And so it doesn't matter what you bring to this interaction with God as father. He can uphold what a real father is. It's that hope of glory that is in God that he allows us to say, this is what a father is. This is what a father should do. And so it's very important to understand the labeling and all of that. And we're going to dive into some scripture today. And I hope that we can kind of keep this in the back of our mind that God has labeled himself father. And that that's kind of one of the meta narrative things over scripture. That, that he wants us to come to him as father, as a loving father who can, who can sustain. So we're going to dive into some scripture. I'm going to give you some time to open if you want to open your, if you still have a, 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 script, a pages Bible and not on your phone. We're going to get into 2 Peter. It's chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. And 2 Peter, you know, if you know anything about Bible uh, theology and, and, and Bible study and, and all of the study that goes into the Bible, uh, it's a challenging book. It's one of those books that, uh, that often people will, will you know, kind of pull away from in teaching because it's, sometimes it's challenging to understand. Um, and when the Lord presented this, these verses to me, I said, oh, Lord, are you sure? <laughs> but what I realized was this first four uh, verses in this book are really instrumental in understanding how we're supposed to operate under this idea of labels and, and what is the labels that God's put on us and then what should that do in our life? And so Peter is the author of this, obviously, Second Peter. And Peter, is, if you remember, was the very impulsive uh, disciple. He's one that I very much relate to because I'm, I am like Peter. I am very quick to move. I'm very quick to speak. I speak with passion. I don't get into things lackadaisically usually. I kind of jump right in just like he did. You know, when he see, saw Jesus walking on water, what does Peter do? Peter jumps out of the boat. You know, well, that's me jumping out of the boat. And, and so I relate with Peter, uh, but I also relate with, with some of the insecurity that comes in making multiple mistakes. And so this was a letter that Peter wrote to all of the churches at the time. It wasn't to just one church to call out, you know, one specific thing. It was really uh, an epistle to all of the churches, and it was near the end of Peter's life, and he knew that it was near the end of his life. He was, we think that he was in Rome, and it was just before his martyrdom. And so he's writing this as kind of a farewell letter. He's like, okay, of all of my ministry, 
of all of the things that, that I have tried to teach and tried to direct, this is, this is what's important. And so keep that in mind as we go through these first uh, four verses. And listen to how he labels himself as we read this. And keep that idea of labeling in mind as we go to the word and, and listen to this. <clears throat> so 2 Peter chapter 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may be, become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. And so you get a little glimpse of why I say it's hard to teach these, these chapter, this chapter because he goes back and forth and he refers to a lot of different things. But the very first thing that you see right off the bat is that maybe, maybe Simon Peter, maybe he deals with this idea of labels also. Because he doesn't introduce himself like Paul does. You know, Paul comes out and he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ. Paul doesn't say, Saul of Tarsus, an apostle named Paul, right? He says, he says I'm Paul. Well, Simon Peter, you can just hear him living in that previous label of Simon Fisherman. You know, Simon untrained. Simon, you know, without formal theological training, but I'm servant of God, servant of Jesus Christ most high. So he calls himself Simon, but Peter. And then he says, I'm first, I'm a servant, but I'm an apostle. So he classifies himself as the servant first, maybe reflecting back on this idea that his status before being called by Christ was one of a lower status, but yet quickly labeling himself as Christ labeled himself as apostle. And why would he do that? Well, he's doing that yeah, to gain legitimacy in writing this letter. But the whole church knew who Simon Peter was. There wasn't a question of whether or not that, you know. What, so he's also telling himself, okay, okay, I am an apostle called by Jesus Christ. I do have authority to write this letter. I am in good standing. So he's reminding himself also, not just the people who are reading the letter, of his authority that's been given by Jesus and then we listen again, we see that not only is he labeling himself, he's labeling the recipients of, of the letter. Because he says, listen again, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ. So the first thing there is obtained, and that the original word there was to obtain through a gift. So it's interesting that he, what he's saying is that we're on equal standing because we've all been given this gift. We've all been given this grace by Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And so we've all obtained this. And to those who have obtained it, to those who have taken hold of the salvation that was paid for by Christ, that's who he's writing this letter. And what have they obtained? They've obtained a faith of equal standing. So he's just said, I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ, which carries with it a lot of authority. I mean, the apostles were the ones who were basically presenting the mind of God to the church, especially the early church. And so what has he just done? He's taken everybody in the audience of this letter, you here, 
And he's elevated you to say that if you have obtained this, this faith, if you've obtained this gift, that you're now on equal standing with Peter. I mean, how many of us operate our lives as if we are on equal standing with the Apostle Peter? What would your life look like? How would it look differently if you operated your life with that understanding that you're on equal ground with the Apostle Peter? And so he's using a label here to, again, to try to set up this interaction that he's having with the church. He's saying, I need you to be labeled by this. Don't be labeled by what you think or what you brought in here today. I need you to be labeled by equal standing. And then he continues on and he says, okay, what's the purpose of this letter? And he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. And we know this is really the theme of this entire letter, the entire letter from start to finish. This is the theme because at the end of the letter, uh, in chapter 3, he comes back to this almost in the last sentence of the, of the letter. And he, this idea of multiplying grace and peace. And so this isn't just a, you know, an exhortation like you see in some of the other epistles. Oh, grace to you, grace and peace to you from our Lord Jesus Christ. This is Peter saying, no, 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 grace and peace to you. Let what you hear in this letter multiply grace and peace to you. Let the label that you hear put over yourself and the power that comes in that label produce grace and peace in your life. This is what I want from your interaction with Jesus Christ. This is what I want when you dive into Scripture to learn more about God. This is what I want when you operate in your small group or when you serve in the name of Jesus Christ. I want grace and I want peace to be multiplied to you. That's the purpose of this. That's why we're here. That's why we're all going to listen. And how do we get that? Well, it's through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. So he says, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and to godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him who has called us to his own glory and excellence. And so how do we, what, what is grace and peace? Grace and peace is that declaring the truth of God in your life. I've just declared over you that you're of equal standing. I've declared that I'm an apostle of Jesus Christ and standing before you with authority to bring this message. That's what Peter's doing. And so that's the grace and the peace comes in that understanding, those definitions and those names and labels. And then we see that actually deployed in their life where that divine power producing life and godliness and so when, as, we, as we think about what do those things mean, life and godliness, well, life is that gift. It's life, and not just life lived, but life abundantly. That's the life that's being referred to here. True life, not existence, but, but thriving, flourishing. As we see the way that God has ordained us to interact with each other, and he has, he has rules, and he has purpose, and he has you know, set up structure around how we interact with one another. What's the purpose of that? It's the purpose to bring life, flourishing life. Not life as we live it defined as failure, or as, or as adulterer, or as, or as liar, or as stealer, all those labels that you want to put on your life that limit the kingdom of God coming and working in your life, but no, he's saying, if you just live under these labels, if you live under this definition, you'll produce life that I have for you, which is life and life abundantly. And that you'll produce godliness. And what does that mean? Does that mean being perfect? It doesn't mean being perfect. It means 
moving towards being God, to be set apart, to be holy, to be called out into working in the ways that God has called you to work. That's that sanctification word that we hear about. And God tells us it's his job to sanctify us. We exhaust ourselves with trying to do better. But it doesn't say here produce life and godliness through your own habits and your own discipline. Through your own success and the lack of failure, you'll produce life and godliness. That's not what it says. It says that divine power in you, the power of the Holy Spirit, that when you accept Christ and you come into the family of Christ and you come into the family of God and we get adopted in as children of the living God, that we receive this divine power. Every single believer in this room has the Holy Spirit in them for one purpose. Christ says, I go so that he may come. Why? So that you can do the things that I've done and even greater. Does that mean we're going to be greater than God? No. But he's saying, I'm going so the Holy Spirit can come in you and that this can multiply the godliness that's on the earth. That it won't just be one person out doing ministry that we saw in Jesus Christ. That it will be multiplied upon all my believers as the Holy Spirit moves through you and moves you into godliness so that you can work in the kingdom, producing life and godliness, that power of the Holy Spirit. And when we get out of its way, when we stop holding it back by saying, I'm just a sinner. I have no business being up here on stage. I have no business opening this holy word and trying to discern what God might be saying to me. When we live in those lies, that inhibits the Holy Spirit from moving in our life. We shouldn't expect life and godliness when we're living under the label that the earth has put on you or that the enemy has put on you. Those lies, those deceits that say, you're never going to do that. You're not going to get over that sin. You're going to keep doing that sin over and over and over and over and over. When you live in that lie, you don't unlock the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. You don't allow the Holy Spirit to move you into life and godliness. But God says, no, no, I want you to operate under this. There's one way that this happens. Knowledge of him. That if you just stop trying and you just focus your eyes on Jesus Christ and on how he has told you to come to the Father, and you just focus on God and you focus on learning his attributes and learning his heart and learning his mind, if you spend your time in the Bible, then the Holy Spirit then is empowered. Because it's like those labels that we're putting on, it's just peeling off one by one. And he gets to move in your life and produce this life and godliness. Now the next, the next part of this text is key, and I think this is key to the whole thing. That through the knowledge of him who has called us to his glory and excellence, by which he has granted us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So how is it that he's telling us it's through knowledge of him? Who's him? God. He's called us to glory and excellence. He's the one who's called us to be better. It's a, this isn't a, the best you possible. You, you don't want the best you possible. I don't want the best me possible. All these self-help books and programs out there will tell you just to get to be the best you. I don't want the best me. I want, I want what God can produce in me. I want what the Holy Spirit can produce in me. And how do I do that? I do that through knowledge of Him. So through understanding the knowledge of God, and by what? By these promises that he's put on you. Well, what are those promises? What are these precious and very great promises? These are the things that God says about us. These are the things he says, look, I want to empower you, but I can't empower you 
when you're thinking of yourself in the same way that you were before you knew me. You know, before you knew Jesus, all those lies that you think about yourself now, they were all true before Jesus. But once you enter into this relationship with Jesus, he starts making you into a new creation. You are a new creation in Christ. And so those become lies. Those labels that you used to have, they no longer hold true. You're a new creation. You've been given a new name, just like Peter. Just like when Simon Peter, Simon comes to Jesus, and just before he's renamed Peter, you know, right around that time, they were all talking about who is Jesus, who is Jesus. They're walking with Jesus. There was John the Baptist, and they say, and Jesus says, well, who do you say that I am? And at that time, Simon was the first one to say, you are the Messiah. Where else should we go? Who else has the words of life but you? And, and Jesus looks at him and he says, you're Peter. Because God gave you that knowledge of me. The only way that can be revealed is God gave you that knowledge. So I'm going to rename you. You're now Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. So God has a name for every one of you here. He's already renamed you. You just have to hear it, and you have to allow it to be labeled onto your life so that you can work. And what are those promises? What are those things that God says you are? Well, in your, in your seat, there was probably this little handout, who I am in Christ. You know, of all the things I could tell you that might be something you take away from here, if you, if you walk out these doors and you forget everything that I've said today, which wouldn't be unusual, I want you to carry this. I want you to put it in your Bible. I want you to put it somewhere, put it in your pocket. that You might come back to it later. Because these are the precious and very great promises. This is how this whole passage of Scripture is telling you how do you unlock grace and peace? How do you unlock life and godliness? It's these. It's understanding who God says I am and allow that knowledge to, to move away from knowledge and actually become belief. See, I have this understanding in my life that I operate of what's the difference between knowledge and belief. Well, knowledge is just something you know. It may be something, like, I know that I should exercise every day, an hour a day, five days a week. That's what I tell all my patients. I know that I should exercise. And for my, my patients that are here, I'm sorry you're going to hear me say this. I don't do it. Why? Because I don't believe it. I mean, I do kind of believe it, but I don't do it. Because it's still just knowledge for me. I need it to become belief. And what's the difference? The difference between knowledge and belief is that belief is knowledge that you act on. It's the deploying of that knowledge. Well, let me encourage you. Take the knowledge that's on this page of all these things that God says you are and your identity in Christ and the label that he wants to put on you and allow that to become belief because that's when it becomes empowering. That's when you get out of the way of the Holy Spirit and you allow the Holy Spirit to start sanctifying your life. I mean, who in this room hasn't struggled with a sin? Who in this room hasn't felt indicted and felt like, oh, I just, I'm never going to get over this? And it's because we keep trying in our own power. And when we work in our own power, we're working under our own labels and our own definitions. And God says, look, you're, I've never intended it to be that way. You can't achieve victory. You can't win. <laughs> it's cute that you thought you could. But you can't and you never were intended to. God wins. God is the Father. God directs. God empowers. God is the one who produces godliness. So get out of his way and allow him to do it. And how do you do that? Well, the scripture has just told us that it's all done through the divine power producing life and godliness. And how do we get there? We get there through these very precious and great promises.
So what are these promises that I'm talking about? I'm a child of God. God tells me that he has adopted me into his family. And I don't want you to just hear that and kind of allow it to, to go by the wayside, like blah, 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 you're a child of God. But let that sink into what that really means. I mean, who here watched that wedding of the prince a few, well, I don't know, weeks ago, months ago, whatever. I knew it was happening. I was kind of forced to watch it. And, but one thing I did notice, I was like, man, there's a lot of, of, of pomp and circumstance that's going into this wedding. And this dude, he just looked like a regular guy. But the reason there's all this circumstance and this pomp is because, well, he's the prince. So, so he's in the lineage of the, of, of the reigning ruler of Great Britain, right? There's power that comes in that. There's circumstance that comes with that. There's perspective that comes from that. You know, his outlook on life is probably greatly different than mine. I've told you my lineage. <laughs> Not the same. But I'm a child of the living God. So I'm a child of the ruler of rulers, of the king of kings, of, of the ruler over everyone. So that the, the ruler of Great Britain, you know what they do before God? They bow and they kneel. Because God is the author and the creator of life. God holds the real power. And he calls me his child. And he doesn't give it to everybody. It'd be nice if he did. I mean, kind of. I mean, I guess. I don't want to be exclusive. But this scripture tells us, John 1.12 tells us, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So one of those promises is that when you change from knowledge of God, because a lot of people in this room have knowledge of God. You may not believe in God, but you have knowledge of God. So this says, changing that knowledge into belief, when you believe in his name, he gave right to become the son of God. He adopted you in, and he gave you all the power and all the privilege that comes with being a child of the living God, just like that prince had in that wedding. All that pomp and circumstance that we all think was rightfully given to him. Well, what, what should we walk into as children of the living God? Allow that promise and that great and precious promise deploy in your life. The next is the Holy Spirit dwells in us. That divine power that scripture was talking about, that's the Holy Spirit. So we're told that do you not know, this is in 1 Corinthians, do you not know that you are God's temple and that the God's Spirit dwells in you? It's not just around you. You don't just have access to it, but it dwells in you. God is in you. He's not far off, separated by a temple and by a curtain. No, when Jesus came and he died and he paid our sin, the veil was torn for a reason. Because now the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Shouldn't we act like the Holy Spirit dwells in us? Shouldn't we be careful of where we take the Holy Spirit? Shouldn't we be careful of what we look at because the Holy Spirit's with us? Don't we act differently when people are around? Right? I mean, everybody does. You act a little different when people are watching. Well, the Holy Spirit's in us. So shouldn't there be some power of correcting our life from that? And that we can deploy a spirit of power, love, and victory. That's a promise that God gave us. That's a truth that he gave us, that we can deploy this power. Well, 2 Timothy tells us, he said, For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. God has empowered you 
You don't have to walk around thinking, well, I mean, this is just how my marriage is. Right? This is just how my kids are. This is just how my job goes. This is just, I'm just not as successful as I want to be. I'm just not as peaceful as I want to be. This is just my temperament. No, God didn't say that. God says you are empowered. You are empowered. He didn't give us a spirit of fear. We don't have to timidly come to the throne of grace. He doesn't tell us that. He doesn't say come in there crawling on your knees. He says to come before the throne of grace emboldened because I've given you power and love and self-control. Why? Because he chose to be father. Because he says, I am your father. I love you. Come to me. Be empowered. Allow these truths. Now, and there may be some other truths on here that are different for you. There may be one here, I don't know. There's a reason God wanted me to print all these out. So I don't want you to miss it. I don't want you to just rely on these three that I've given you. I want you to go through these and allow one to speak to you. Because the whole point of this thing, I said, to be honoring to God as we try to honor our Heavenly Father today. I mean, it's Father's Day. If you can't do it today, we've got to honor our Heavenly Father today. And we've got to do it by believing what He's told us and deploying that truth in our life and to wait to be delivered. You know, some of us are trying to do it in our own power, but we need to declare the truth of God, to deploy that truth of God in our life, and then watch Him deliver us. Because he, His truth is delivering. The whole point of He came to the earth, gave His life on the cross, rose on the third day, was to deliver us from the power of sin and evil. So allow yourself to be delivered. As we go into this moment of expressions, hopefully most everybody in this room knows what we're doing here. The whole purpose of expressions in our church is that we've heard truth, we've declared truth maybe, but this gives you an opportunity to deploy that truth in your life. So God may be provoking you today. Number one, maybe to declare that knowledge of God. So maybe you're, you're still in that knowledge stage and you need to, to declare belief in God so that you can be adopted into the family of God, so that you can have all the rights and privileges that come with what he calls us, a co-heir with Christ, equal in the inheritance of the power of God on this earth to see his kingdom come into your life. And what does that kingdom look like? It's grace and it's peace be multiplied in your life. Who doesn't want more grace and peace multiplied in their life? So this may be the moment, maybe God's provoked you many times before in this knowledge of him. This may be the moment where you say, Lord, I declare that Jesus was the son of God, that his death on that cross paid for my sin and allowed me to come to you, and that I declare that he rose on the third day to show power and victory and that death doesn't have a hold that we are no longer bound to sin and death, but that we can enter into this relationship with you. And I declare you Lord of my life. That I will bend the things of my life and the things of my desire to you. That you are my Lord. And you need to declare that today. And you can do that right in your seat. You can do that with one of our pastors in the back. But don't miss the opportunity today to declare that Jesus is Lord. Or maybe you've made that declaration years ago. Maybe it was last week. Maybe it was earlier in the month, earlier this year you got baptized and you're trying to figure out how do I do this life with Christ? Well, you take these truths that we've just been talking about and you deploy them in your life. And so maybe you need to write on a piece of paper the previous labels that you put on your life. Failure, adulterer, 
addicted, whatever those labels are that you walk around in today, you need to write those on a piece of paper and you need to pin them to the cross because he wants to take those labels off of you and he wants to put the label that he's put on you, redeemed. So don't forget to write that on that piece of paper too, that I am redeemed. I am a child of the living God. I am a co-heir with Christ. I am beloved by God the Father. And you nail that to the cross and you let it stay there. And you no longer allow those labels to be on your life. Or maybe, like I said, this idea of fathership is is foreign to you and you don't understand it. And you need to come to the back where the pastors are going to be praying with people. And you need to hear the prayer of the Father, the blessing of the Father that Ben is so, so ample to give to show you here is the Father's will for you to be blessed and to have life and godliness and grace and peace. And you need to have that poured over your life. Come. Or maybe you need to come to the table of grace where Jesus said, I have given you my life. I have given everything for you to pay for your sin. And you need to say, yes, Lord. And you need to say, you are my Lord. And because of that, I'm going to come to your table. And I'm going to participate in the power that is in the sacrament of communion. That you take on that life that's been given for you. And you say, Lord, I live for you. Or maybe it's just you sit in your seat and you worship through these songs and declare him again as Lord. Whatever you need to do in your, in your life today, whatever God's speaking you to do today, declare it, deploy it, and be delivered. Wait for God to deliver you. Father, as we come to you today, I pray, Father God, that these words that I've had that have not been sufficient would not get in the way of the words that you are speaking to everyone in this room today. Because you speak words of love and blessing in affirmation, in forgiveness. Lord, let us be moved today to move in the way that you would have us to move, whether it's declaring your lordship or whether it's throwing off the labels that we've had on our lives, Father God, that you would move in our life today and that you would show yourself as Lord as you deliver us from the corruption and the sin that is in this world. Father, we love you. On this day, let us be honoring to you before anything else. In Jesus' name, amen.